Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 64 of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff, and I really hope our time together helps you lead like never before. We have a friend of mine and somebody that I'm pretty sure is probably a friend of yours, too, at least online. His name is John Acuff, and John's my guest today. John actually helped us start this thing out back at episode nine, if you want to go way back into the archives. You can find him there. We sat down and uh, there must be something good about Dallas and John and I, because I think it was in Dallas last year that John and I sat down and had a conversation for the podcast. And I always love it. Hey, I do 90% of these via Skype, but every once in a while I get to get into a room with a leader and hopefully I'll be doing more and more of those because I just think the dynamics different. And uh, John and I got to sit down and you'll hear this. It was between speaking uh, gigs. He, uh, we were both on Orange Tour. We both had uh, breakouts and we found like literally 30 minutes where we could sit down and record this episode, but it was a lot of fun. And then we come back at the end today and we kind of tag it with a very special offer for podcast listeners. John's put a special deal together for you because he's uh, launching a New Year's program called the 30 Days of Hustle. And uh, basically, if you want to accomplish your goals, John wants to help you. And he's got a special offer for podcast listeners uh, at the end of this. So John and I come back. So it's a two-part interview, one live in Dallas face-to-face, and then another one we caught up in Skype. And so you'll hear you'll hear that. So John's going to talk about something I thought, what do, what do I want to talk to John about? It's two years of being a solo entrepreneur. He's always worked for a company before and he's been out two years on his own. So we get to that in the interview. But he is also one of the funniest guys I've met, having spent um, quite a bit of time with John personally over the last few years, mostly because we're speaking on, on the same circuit. John, John just sees the world differently. And he like everything's funny to him. And, you know, I have a good sense of humor. I'm better like in person or when it's not scripted than I am, you know, trying to make a crowd laugh. But John is just, you know, what you see in stages on stage is actually how he thinks and how he processes the world. And what you read in his books, if you're a fan of like he's a New York Times bestselling author. So I mean he just released Do Over. He's got Quitter, he's got Start, and he also wrote stuff Christians like. So I mean John, John, just even in his writing is just funny. And he became known for his humor with stuff Christians like the blog and then, and then the book. And so I'm kind of like, okay, what is the science behind that? So if you communicate like I do, you know, one of the best ways to sort of get, uh, open up the audience, get them on your side is to crack a joke. And I think I heard Rod, Robin Williams said, you know, at one point, like, the, the metaphor for humor is deadly. It's either, hey, you're killing it or it's killing you. One of the two. Either you're killing it, man, you're great, or it's killing you because you either live or you die when you try comedy. And so John gives us some of the secret sauce, which is a lot of fun. Anyway, hey, thank you. I just want to say before we jump in the interview, thanks for making this journey so rewarding. I did love connecting with so many of you on the Orange Tour, getting a lot of feedback. It's cool now as I'm recording this episode, a lot of you are are starting to get, and by the time you hear this, well, already probably everybody's gotten their lasting impact posters. And when you've been putting those on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, that's been so fun. So when 
when I released my latest book, Lasting Impact, Seven Powerful Conversations That Can Help Your Church Grow. We released a limited edition custom-made poster with some key concepts and quotes from the book. It's just cool artwork on it. And we sent it to the first thousand people to buy the book and fill out the bonus form. You've all got those now, and it's just so fun to see your your posters. And the audiobook is now available. So if you're an audiobook listener and you haven't gotten a copy of Lasting Impact yet, you can go to Amazon, pick it up right there. It's just Lasting Impact. And you can get all the information at Lasting Impact Book. So I just want to thank you for that. Thank you to everybody for your emails, for your reviews on iTunes of this podcast, for sharing episodes you've loved. Uh, you guys make it great. So thank you so much. And now here is my conversation with New York Times bestselling author, John Acuff. So John, here we are backstage at Orange Conference. This is always a fun time, isn't it? Yeah, it's great. And we're squeezing this in between sessions. So you just finished on stage. We're back up in, what, 30 minutes or so? But it's going to be fun. So John, we got some user questions. I've got some questions I've been wanting to ask you. So here's the first one, okay? If there's queso to be eaten, and there's a grizzly bear and you, who gets to the queso first? I don't know that bears eat queso. I think they're more honey. So I would be fine. Like, You'd be fine. I would, just, I would say, hey, look, some honey, and then the bear would be distracted. We were all out for dinner the other night, and they had this, like, I don't know what they call it. Is it like chihuahua cheese or something like that? Is that oh, a thing? Oh, yeah, but that's different. Is it different? The queso it's not queso? It's like thick... Yeah, really thick. No, that's different. That's not that's no. not good. So you like the like yellow or the white or the white? It's actually not even Mexican. It was invented in Arkansas. Really? Although I don't know how you can invent melted cheese. It just feels like, <laughs> like heat invented that. But I guess somebody invented it. All right, so you win hands down in a in a contest oh, with yeah. a grizzly bear. Okay, that's it. That's all I that's wanted to know. That's just science. Thanks for being a guest yeah. today, John. This is just like Appreciate Andy Stanley's it. questions. I'm pretty sure. Like somebody <laughs> asked him about salsa, probably. Yeah, next time I have Andy on the podcast, I'll make you should. sure I'll ask him. People well, want to know his do it on cheese. <laughs> so, John, I want to talk about what you are one of the funniest guys I know online and in real life. Like, you, you know, you just have this sense of humor. And a lot of church leaders, particularly those of us who communicate, we're not so good at humor. So tell, tell me a little bit about that. Um, why do you think so many people struggle to try to be funny publicly and then and then what are some tricks of the trade? How have you learned to like, because you, you just, I mean, for 25 minutes, you just kept an audience in stitches. I think part of it is you have to be your kind of funny, not somebody else's kind of funny. Right. Not everybody is wired to be the same kind of funny. Mm-hmm. So for instance, I know uh, we have a mutual friend in Trip Crosby. Yeah. Trip is great at physical humor. Like he, he can do things on stage physically that I couldn't if I spent 10 years practicing. Like just his facial expressions, the way he uses his limbs, like part mm-hmm. of it's he's really tall. He's, he's tall really, and, and like skinny and yeah. what is he, 6'4", something like that? Yeah, he's taller so than I Yeah, so that's a tool he has that mm-hmm. I don't have. Dave Barnes, a uh, musician, really funny. Can, he's a great musician, so he can incorporate yeah. music. I don't have that tool. So I think where leaders get in trouble is when they try to be like somebody else's version of funny. Okay. And there's nothing as unfunny as a leader wearing the wrong version of funny. And sometimes if you're trying to get a laugh, you don't. No. Right? No. So is there a difference between jokes and humor? Like, um, I know a lot of pastors try to tell jokes or they, they try to set up something that I don't they try think to tell jokes. I try to, say, I try to say funny things. Okay, what's the difference? A joke to me is encapsulated in like an idea like I, pr- I put jokes on twitter so okay. i'll try to you know one that i one that i remember i said um sometimes i worry about the news 
um, in that period. Uh, Huey Lewis can take care of himself, but who knows about those guys? And so <laughs> the joke was just, it's one way you do a joke is you do a hard left-hand turn. So you take somebody in a direction they think they're going, and then you right. whiplash them in the other direction, and it's really funny. Um, so that's a joke, where humor right. to me is a story, where I didn't go up and tell 10, like, punchline of, like, why did this... Why did the chicken cross the road? It's more of a story with humorous elements woven into it. That's the difference to me. So was humor natural for you? Were you always, like, were you the funny kid? Has, has that been part of your public speaking or your writing from the beginning? I was always the talkative kid. In the eighth grade, <laughs> I was voted most talkative. Um, and slowish <laughs> dishwasher. Yeah. Slowish dishwasher and most talkative um, <laughs> for my home ec class. But no, my, my dad's really funny. My youngest brother, Bennett's the funniest in the family. Um, really? He's a lawyer. He's just, his humor is a lot funnier than mine, I feel like. But we grew up, it, it was a currency in our house. So yeah. that's what we cared so about. So people valued humor. My dad took me to comedy clubs when I was younger. So like, really? that was what, I watch a hundred um, comedians for every one business speaker. Like great comedians are great social commentators. So so who are your favorite comedians these Right days? now I really like Jim Gaffigan's classic, but yeah. um, Gary Gullman, uh, G-U-L-M-A-N. He has okay. a bit on Trader Joe's, which is just brilliant. <laughs> Um, Nate Bargatze is really good too. He's he's got a great album. He's out of Nashville, um, so yeah. There's a handful of people that are just really good at it. It's a craft. Yeah. Um, so how do you how do you develop it? I mean, how 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 have you like? That was one of the questions that came in from a reader. It's yeah. like, are you taking notes? Because I mean, your paragraphs are pretty packed with it. Your talks, it, you don't go long stretches without sort of at least making people smile or, or crack up. And that's a lot of material. Well, humor is a tension reliever, too, because even if you're saying something serious, you have to let the air out of the balloon or it just overwhelms people yeah. and it just wears them down. So, But I, I guess for me, I'm learning the difference between talent and craft. And talent is in the moment you say something funny or you say something insightful that you weren't planning to say because the best speech is that happens. That's the best part of any speech. Yeah, Craft is remembering it and doing it a second time. And that's, that's the difference. So that's where you, after you do a speech, you write down and go, okay, this, this part worked. Like today I said something I'd never said before. Okay. Um, I was talking about, I've said a couple times that nobody chooses the middle seat on a Southwest flight. You know, Southwest, you get to yeah. choose your seat. Nobody chooses the middle on purpose unless you're a psychopath. And so then I said, nobody's like, ah, I want to get in the middle and have two people's bellies on me. You know, like, <laughs> and that line did really well. And so like now the craft part is, remembering I said that, writing that down, and then the next time I do that joke, adding that detail. And so you're constantly winnowing away the things that don't work and remembering the things that do work until yeah. it just gets stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger until you feel really good about it. Totally agree that, that humor is something you need to relieve the tension. So when I preach, even when I preach, there's two or three moments where I try to crack people up, which is, which is hard. I often find, for me, like I can be quite funny backstage. I can sure. be quite funny in meetings and using my best humor is off the cuff. It's yeah. just an observation in the minute. I see something cracks people up. I find a much harder time with rehearsed humor. And so often what I'll do is during the first service, if something works, it'll be like, it'll be really awesome and people will crack up, but then I have to reproduce it at the next service. And I struggle more with that. Yeah. Uh, like facial expressions, because I kind of know what's coming, but you seem to have a way of just like, mastering it. So how can you walk us through that process? Yeah, Teach us I, some of the craft. Yeah. I mean, I think some of the craft, I try to carry through stuff that I would naturally say at a dinner party. So what you okay. just described, and I heard David Spade, this comedian say that he was on Center Live and he said the first time he did an open mic, 
he had all these jokes and um, it didn't do well. And the guy, the manager of the club said, hey, in between jokes, you were funnier when you were being you and telling like, just like who you are. And then right. you would go into joke mode and it wasn't funny. So I'm always trying to bring who I am at a dinner party into, into the mix so that it's not that I become, that's when you feel robotic. That's when audiences don't connect with you. Whether you're funny or not, if they get the sense that you're being somebody who you're not, yeah. that's when you feel. And that's what I can't stand about like leaders that do that. It just right. feels so fake and they only tell their successes and oh, it just yeah. feels sugarcoated and I don't know. And I'm not saying you need to cry or say every bad thing you've ever done. I think we, we don't know how to be authentic. So we pendulum swing the other direction and we're doing a confessional in each speech. And yeah. it's, that's not what I'm saying. But so I just try to say if I if I would say it at a dinner party and I'd have a lot of fun with it, then I'd, let me try to say it on stage. And then you just have to do it enough to get comfortable with it where, you know, where the pauses are. And then being funny or being a good speaker is just about being willing to be a horrible speaker for a lot of times first. Like you just have to, you have to weather the silence when you say something you think is funny and nobody laughs and you have to go, okay, well, let me learn from that. That was instructive. Right. You know, I look back at speeches I did five years ago. I'm like, oh, it was terrible. Yeah. Like, you went, right? Yeah. It's like, went. can we destroy the game film? Yeah, please? exactly. So <laughs> you just, I'm just learning that anything you're going to be good at, you have to be terrible at first. And the, the difference between people who end up being proficient at something is that they have a willingness to walk through the years of being not great at it. Yeah. Um, well, I find too when when I tell self de self deprecating stories, and I've got a lot of them. Oh, yeah, that seems to go over the best with the congregation because you kind of burst the bubble because everyone thinks, "Oh, this guy thinks he's better than us," and then yeah. you tell some story that no self deprecating. Clearly, well, it's relatable. Everybody's yeah. failed, not everybody succeeded. Yeah, so, so I have can, a lot of material if I can tell yeah. it in a funny way. Yeah, it's your joke about wearing this, you know, the photo of the sim of the tombstone where you're oh, in yeah. biker shorts. Like, yeah, that's funny. That was because it's real, and it's like, and like, there's seven other jokes in that if you explored it. Yeah, I remember we talked about that because I had that on tour last year, yeah. or the year before, and it was just this picture of a tombstone I took, but I took it when I was out on a bike ride. Yeah, and so it was. You could actually, if you look closely enough, you could see me in spandex. Uh, in the tombstone, which is really kind of ugly. So I said something like, you know, avert your eyes, avert your eyes, please. But see, like you could say, um, you could also say, if you were hoping today at Orange, you'd see like um, a middle-aged guy in spandex in a cemetery, then bucket list check. You know, like you could <laughs> do that or you could, you know, um, you could I say, because there's nothing weird about a man in full spandex taking photos of graves. Like that's a completely like, and, and then you could say like, what's funny is there's probably a niche online community I could go be part of because there's a community for everybody. There's probably a group, you know, on, on Facebook. There's a Facebook group called Taking Photos of, you know, of, <laughs> of Tombstones While Wearing Spandex. See, we have a convention in Reno. Like there's all these lines you could like, that's what I try to do is find the thing. And then are there jokes I can tell around the thing? See, that's really good. And, and, and I wish I had that gene. Like that, that goes places. I know we've even often on tour when we're speaking in the same place, we'll stay at the same hotel. And I remember we were in Mukilteo oh, yeah. last year. Yeah. What a great yeah. spot right on beautiful. the ocean. Yeah. And my wife was with me on that trip. And uh, I guess we were probably behind you by 15 minutes or something. So I followed your Instagram mm -hmm. and I'm like, I can't remember exactly what you tweeted about, but, or you Instagrammed about, but I'm like, 
how did I didn't even see that? Like I didn't I didn't even see it. I took some picture of like driftwood and made. But some, see that same trip in Temecula, thing. there was something you took a photo of. Oh yeah, so you remember yeah, that. it's the same way. It was it's, in California. It was, it was a California unisex bathroom. Like, exactly, and took it was a photo like only in California. Something yeah, and like so that. I think that for me that is about being able to see ideas. Like right. that's what great I think great communicating is is the ability to see the world through your filter, mm-hmm. and then apply it and actually do work with it. So like yesterday, Ryan Boone, who we both Oh, he's yeah. on the orange tour. I saw him in the lobby of the hotel and he said, You're gonna run today? I said, Yeah. He said, How long are you gonna go? And I said, Three miles. And he said, Nah, four. And that's all he said. And I ran four miles. And I had been planning to run three, but that little bit of encouragement. So it's on me as a communicator to put that in my folder of ideas right. and know, okay, that's the power of community. It's not complicated. Sometimes when we think we have to encourage somebody, we have mm-hmm. to give them advice. Like it had, we have to come up with this perfect paragraph. Like, no, Ryan said two words. And one of them was nah, nah, right. four. And I did that. And so like, that's where you try to turn on that part of you so that you're able to see all these ideas that are coming at you all the time. Yeah. And I think one of the other thing that's very true, I think for communicators is humor is very cut and dry. It either works or it doesn't. There's crickets. Oh yeah. yeah. Or people laughed. Yeah. And so you have to be very vulnerable to be funny. And I can't remember a talk I haven't given where I haven't, you know, had a story or something that, that tried to elicit a laugh. And there is nothing. There's no worse feeling well, than a joke Well, different crowds dies. react differently. Like they I do. did a joke today that killed in Charlotte, and it, it fell pretty flat. And so I, how do you, you know, how do you recover from that? You come to a podcast with a polite Canadian. I mean, <laughs> I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I I I'll probably try another time and see if it yeah. was the city, because maybe yeah. maybe it was the city, um, or maybe I'm I'm misremembering the other size of the laugh right. before. Um, so yeah, I'll maybe retire it. Um, I don't know, but I just know, like, I know I felt like I did what I was supposed to do and you, you'll get neurotic if you measure every joke too precisely. Um, but yeah, it's just part of it. Like people not laughing is a big part of it. And that's why it's hard for people to do that. Yeah. Um, and my favorite thing is when a moment happens, that's unique and fresh and you all get to react to it in the moment, because that's when they know it is off the cuff. Right. Like it is something that. You, you didn't script. And I think that's fun for audiences and it's fun for me. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know that we talked about this before, but you know, being a North Point strategic partner, we run Andy Stanley about half the oh, yeah. time. So I sit sometimes five times for an Andy message, mm-hmm. twice at our one location, twice sometimes the next week at our other location. And I mean, it is exactly the same. This is video. He never changes, doesn't change his delivery, doesn't change his facial expressions, yeah. his messages. And he's quite funny his jokes play differently to oh, different yeah. crowds. And that's tremendously therapeutic for me because sometimes you'll, you know, you'll do the nine o'clock service and you come back for the 1030 and it didn't work. And you're thinking, what did I do? Yeah. How did I kill How it? How did it become worse in the last hour? Yeah. I just, I need to quit this. And right? he's, I mean, that's what Seinfeld does. Seinfeld believes that when you figure out the right way to say a joke, you don't change it. Um, right. He's more of a, like a scientist that way where other comedians are, I know the joke and I'm going to add and remove and, you know. And what do you do? Probably a hybrid of that. I'm much more of the kind of organic approach um, than the the chemist of like, here's how you make a certain formula. Um, I'm the same way because I have to feel it. I have to. I have to be I in the moment. It. I can't yeah. fake it. No. And if I fake it, if I, I become robotic, it's and not I've funny anymore. I've gotten feedback before. So really, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's hard not to take to heart, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was. It was good. I mean, but it was right. I talked to somebody the other day. They said they'd only been critiqued once in their 30 years of speaking. What? And I thought, I need to 
oh, seek gosh. out more of that. You need to it's marry hard. better. It's hard. Yeah, Jenny, yeah, Jenny will tell <laughs> Tony, me. Tony, yeah, I, I find out in the yeah. gentlest and nicest yeah. of ways. But yeah. it's, it's, a, so it's a truth dart. So it's a true. truth dart. Yeah. It's like, how was that? It was good. It was like, okay, so not great, yeah. right? No, it was just good. Yeah. Why was it just good? <laughs> so funny. Know? Or you were off or whatever. So Zach Verbracken wants to know. He's from uh, Kansas City, by the way. Wants Zach to know what Verbracken? You, yeah. I that's actually a, had lunch with him. He reached a great out name. To me. Isn't that great? Yeah, Sounds Verbracken. like he should be a linebacker or something. Something, yeah. Yeah, he's a youth pastor, which is the same as being a linebacker, I guess. He wants to know what your creative process is for consistent content. Any tips or habits? Yeah, I mean, I think you don't you don't get to create great stuff unless you curate great stuff. Mm. So, you know, Evernote for me is really important because yeah. I don't feel creative all the time. So, right. like, if I wanted to write something this afternoon, yesterday I wrote two audio, I uh, recorded two audio ideas about criticism, two separate ideas. And I just put in, like, 50 words. I kind of call it, like, Goldilocks. Uh, no, uh, Hansel and Gretel. Um, I just need to find the trail back. Like, they left oh, the trail yeah. to get away. And so... I just need to find the trail back to the heart of the idea. So I don't think, I don't have to capture it perfectly. That's where people get stuck. They think, I don't have the 15 minutes to capture this idea. I just recorded an audio message, you know. Yeah, to you text. can do that in Evernote. Yeah, and then today if I am tired, I don't feel like being like fresh creative, I have that help to go back and go, oh, yeah, that's what that thing was. That's when I was in the moment. I wrote this down. Let me write this out. And so that's a big part of it. Most mm -hmm. times we sit down with a blank piece of paper. You should never sit down with a blank piece of paper. You should always have an idea bank to pull from. Right. That's why it's intimidating. Of course it's intimidating if you're starting over every time. But if you want consistent content, treat ideas like they're worth something because they are. So the better I get at that, the better I end up creating something. So a lot of people go off the wrong way before they've even started. Yeah. Do you use like, you, you're a big fan of writing things out too. Right? Yeah, um, in, in, on paper I feel some cards. freedom with that where it's different. The, the computer can be intimidating to me if I'm yeah. not careful. So I have a moleskin notebook I keep because I'm a hipster. <laughs> and um, so I'll write down ideas, but um, in Evernote or just Word, like I'm a really simple guy that way. Um, and it's and then I'll, I've got to edit it. I've got to spend some time away from it. Um, and, and I have to enjoy it, like. Um, but I need to be stretched too. So I've, I've ghostwritten some stuff before and I like trying to write in somebody else's voice. Like it makes me a better oh, writer. Really? Um, was that more in your corporate stuff or you're still doing that once in a while? Uh, it was more in my freelance career yeah. where leaders would ask me to help with ideas. Um, and so I like that. Like I enjoy that and I miss it. I haven't done it in a little while and I'm kind of picking it back up. Um, so, and it's, it's fun to, to get stretched that way. Cause if I just write in my voice all the time, it can get stagnant. When you write a book, how do you start outlining it? How do you capture ideas? Because we were talking yesterday, you're working on your next book, or yeah. you, you need to be working on your mm -hmm. next book. How do you begin capturing ideas? Do you start with an outline? Does it start in Evernote? Do yeah, you... so it starts in Evernote where I open an Evernote, f a notebook, a whole notebook. Oh. Um, and so it's any idea that goes to this core idea I have. So I usually start with a question, like one core question that I'm really curious about. Um, and I think, could I be interested in this for multiple years because that's what right. happens with the book like that is with a book yeah. i've found that in the three i've written you're yeah. going to be speaking about this five years from now yeah. you better be passionate you sell it about for it. the rest of your life Holy you write cow. it for a year you sell it for the rest of your life yeah and so then so yeah i'll start gathering them gathering them gathering them and then the next thing is i try to see um a pattern i mm. look at i look at my 200 ideas and go what's a pattern is there a thread emerging yeah. um and then i do exercises like i just hired a researcher so that forces me to come up with 30 questions i want the researcher to help me answer 
and I'll go, I have this theory, but I want it to be scientifically true. Like, I don't want it to just be, like, the next evolution for me as a writer and maturing as a writer is to have research backing my ideas. Right. There's so many books where the person just writes them and you go, says who? And they go, <laughs> my life. Like, just I did God. a one-person sample and it worked in my life, so it should be the same in yours. No, it won't. <laughs> like, not at all. You know, and you end up writing, like, we have a lot of thinly, like, we have a lot of books that were great magazine articles that got stretched in the whole books. And so, so I'll do the research process. And then I like to use huge pieces of paper, mm -hmm. gigantic pieces of paper around my, my dining room. And it'll say chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. And then I'll take all those ideas I've been working on. I'll put one idea per note card. And then I'll start to figure out where are they in, like, which chapter do they go in. And then that gives me the chance to visually see, Wow, chapter two has like 14 ideas. Chapter seven has none. Like, what am I missing? Yeah. What's the thread? And so, like, then I'll write my way through that. And I have to do a lot of writing. Like, I'm not a good outline person. Um, because I think, for me anyway, the book always goes places I wasn't expecting. I mean, yeah. even J.K. Rowling has said she wept when certain characters died because she didn't see it coming in Harry Potter. Wow. And she's great at outlining, but there's still a magic to writing. Um, we would say it's the Holy Spirit and it's right. creativity. And so, yeah, so I can do an outline, but often my out, where I end up is different than when I thought. Because the outline could be six months before I actually sit down to write. Sure. And so, like, some of it's absurd to think, like, this is exactly what I'll, you know, what I'll end up writing about. Because then I start writing and I find an idea. Um, so do you find that you have to toggle between, like, inspiration? Do you get into a zone where all of a sudden you look down and you've written 7,000 words? And then other days it's just robotic where it's 1,000 words that's what I'm going to do. That's my job today is to write a thousand words. I mean, you talk to different authors, people do it differently. I would say for me, like I heard an author say he'd rather, he'd almost, he'd prefer to do almost anything but write. And so like, <laughs> I have to force myself. I know. Like there are moments where I catch a thread of something and it's really fun and I'm on a plane and I do write more than I think. And I go, oh, this is really neat, you know? Um, but more than that, it's, getting over that first 20 minutes, 30 minutes of fear of like, I won't have anything. It's not going to be good. Who am I to write a book? You know, I'm every pastor in the world's thought that before they gave a sermon, like who yeah. am I to tell these people anything? Right. You know, my, my next series won't be as good as my last. Yeah. Series. Exactly. I've already yeah. peaked. I've, you know, like <laughs> nobody's going to like this. People have already heard this idea before. I'm just repeating myself. And it's like, well, yeah, of course, like grace is grace. Like mm -hmm. we're all riffing on a book that's, existed for a long time yeah, there is nothing new under the sun i keep i keep having people tell me like they found a new idea in the prodigal son i'm like no no you didn't like it's like Sorry. it'll be your version that's great but like somebody like tony campolo has probably already done it and he swore and people loved it um and so yeah i, I guess that's part of my process is is being brave enough to sit down and get through that first hour where it's like nothing is coming. So you've had a lot of success. I mean, the blogs you've written, you've been on the New York Times bestsellers list a couple of times already. Does that make it easier to write or does that make it no, harder? No, it makes it harder. Okay, tell me about no, that. Most, most people, like those of us who have never had a New York Times bestseller uh, would say, oh, then you're just in the flow forever. No, no way. <laughs> no, does it... I don't know that success, like the day after success, I think it's really difficult because then you try to repeat it. Like I had a songwriter tell me the worst day in a songwriter's life is the day a song goes number one because then you have to repeat it. And so I don't feel that extreme about it. But no, there's expectations. The expectations are greater. It's easier to exceed expectations when there are barely any. Right. Um, but when you're, you know, when you start to have expectations, I think what you have to do though is not make it part of your identity. The times mm. I've made 
the New York Times list or success or whatever, my identity, oh, that's so poisonous. And I just end up hating what I create. Um, I feel so much pressure. So no, there's, you know, you. I guess there's that fear of like, you don't want to be a has-been or you don't want to right. have, have already peaked. But, oh, yeah. but the, those questions are so far away from your identity and God that like the second you start asking them, you should go, wait a second. Like, I didn't do that anyway. Like, for me, it would be really foolish to go, I just need to have the same size platform I did when I worked for Dave Ramsey or I'm a failure. Well, first of all, he has 7 million radio listeners and was sharing my books with 7 million. I don't have, I have zero radio listeners. It would be (laughs) asinine for me to go, if I'm not bigger than I was then, I've failed. Mm -hmm. Um, or if it's not the same, it's not going to be the same. He gave me opportunities that I never could have gotten on my own. Um, and so I, if I measure it against that, then yeah, I'll feel like everything I do will feel like a failure. If I go, uh, with him, I spoke at 10 events every year that had 10,000 people at them. And I only spoke at three this year. It must be a failure versus going awesome. Like I'm a small entrepreneur now. I I booked two events that had 20,000 people at each of them. Like, that's amazing. And I'm rebuilding and this is, you know, so yeah, it gets. I think it gets harder. Maybe some mm-hmm. people have an easier time. I just have. I think you have to fight for your identity more. So you've been on your own now for two years yeah. since you've left a company. You've always worked for companies, yeah. or you know, first it was a side job, then it became your main job. But it was under Dave Ramsey's sure. sort of wing and under his company. And now for about two years, you've been on your own. What are What are you learning? Like, what has been some of the 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 top learnings? Uh, Twenty four months into this solo entrepreneur thing, it's hard. Yeah, it's, it's really hard. Um, it's on you. Um, mm. Nobody will care about your thing as much as you because it's your thing. Right. So nobody will care about growing your church as much as you'll care about growing your church or nobody will care about your book as much as you'll care. Like, And there'll be people that come along and help. But ultimately, if you don't move it forward, it won't be moved forward. And so there's a lot of ownership and a responsibility to it. Um, it's a myth to think if you go off on your own, you'll, you won't have bosses. Like you do I have a thousand bosses. Like Reggie Joyner is one of my bosses. Yep. Like every speaking client I have is somebody I'm trying to serve. That's one of my bosses. The people that buy my book are, are bosses. You know, mm-hmm. like you you serve people for the rest of your life, whether you're at a corporation or a church or off on your own. Um, so I would say that was the big one. And then just learning to learning to measure results and be deliberate about measuring results and going, okay, I tried these three things and two of them didn't work. They felt good on my ego, but they didn't work. Yeah. And so I don't need to do them anymore. And I need to be honest enough to admit that and then do something differently. So I've learned a lot of that. I'm still learning. I'm only two years in. I'm just constant. Like, I'm learning how much I don't know. What's the hardest part? The hardest part? I would say not having a team. Hmm. That's what I love about the tour. Like, for... For 10 weeks, I feel part of a team. I like teams. Like, I didn't realize that when I worked at a company, how much I liked being around other people. Because, I mean, you've written it before, and sometimes the teams were the very thing that were driving you crazy, right? Oh, the yeah, boss sure, or, sure. Oh, I don't, I'll be out on yeah, my own. Yeah, you think, like, when I don't myth. have this, but, like, no, you miss that. So yeah. I love the consistency of, like, I'm hanging out with Josh, or that Ryan and I have shared jokes, or, like, I, Kristen knows I'm going to be here at 830, and every time that's what I'm going to do. And so I miss the team. That's probably the hardest thing, is recreating that and being deliberate about relationships. I remember when I started in ministry, and it was solo, and I'd come from a law firm in Toronto, and that I spent a year in my basement yeah. doing church, because we couldn't even meet in the church. It didn't have, like, uh, like internet or anything like that. And so I just kept saying for a year, I miss the team, I miss the team, yeah. I miss the team. 
That's, that's so true. So it seems very glamorous from the outside because I'm sure there are people who are like, if I had John Acuff's life, it would be so amazing. I guess they say, I mean, yeah. somebody says that because of Instagram and, and some stuff. Right. But no, I, we talked about this the other day. I, my fl- I, 8, 8 a.m. my flight got canceled to Austin. Um, and they said, we can get you there at 9 p.m. tonight. But I had a 7 p.m. book signing. So I had to fly to Dallas and rent a terrible car and drive 220 miles. Like that, there was no part of that that was glamorous. <laughs> the problem is that our culture, we've got this dream self-help kind of motivational culture right now online that says like, you're going to find the perfect thing, like a soulmate version of your job where you love every second. And that's that's the other thing I've learned. No, you won't. Mm-mm. Like you you just won't. You getting your papers in order for your visa. There was no part of you that's like, this is amazing. If I could, yeah. do, if I could do this every year, yeah. I would. If I could I, just stand at the border and like wait and pay thousands yeah, of dollars to cross the great. border. I'm living the dream. Yeah. Um, and so that's part of what I've learned too is that you do a lot of things for the, the, the small moments that you really love. So yeah. I traveled 24 hours to spend two hours with people. I had a blast during those two hours. Um, but the 22 other hours weren't amazing. Stunk. Yeah. There's no, no part of me on that trip, like in the car that didn't have cruise control in the middle of nowhere, Texas, was like, you know what? This is why I became an author. <laughs> like, this is why I'm not with my family right now. Um, this is why I'm missing my kids. Like, this is, this is the dream. Well, John, I just got a text. We are up next. So oh, awesome. uh, can you believe that? This, as usual, leaves me wanting more. So just thank yeah, you so we'll much for in spring. investing in the leaders. And uh, we'll catch up again real soon. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me, Carrie. Well, John, through the magic of Skype, <laughs> last time we were actually sitting face-to-face in uh, Dallas, Texas, and now you're in Nashville, and I'm north of Toronto in Oro Medanti, Ontario, a place nobody's ever heard of. No, I just call uh, it Canada. It's all Canada to me. It, it just works. It yeah. just works. But we're, we wanted to finish the interview because you had to run off and speak. I had to run off and speak. But you've got something really cool happening in January. Tell us, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so last year I took 10,000 people through a program called the 30 Days of Hustle. And Mm -hmm. it was amazing to watch what happened when somebody would pick one thing times 30 Days of Hustle and it created this kind of infinite possibility. People lost weight or wrote pages of a book or filed paperwork to start a business. It was just this really compact way to actually work on resolutions because only 8% of resolutions succeed. And Seriously. set them every year, and then we're confused at why they don't succeed. And so this year, I thought I'd really amplify the success of the program, invite more people into it, and I added video. And a, and hmm. a big part of why I added video um, and a Facebook community that's private is that face-to-face still matters. There's something really yeah. powerful about that, even in the form of video. And then community matters. I was reminded of that um, when I was on tour with you at Orange in one of the cities, I had planned to run three miles. I decided I'm going to run three miles. I did all the pre-planning. I packed the right stuff. I was mentally ready. And in the hotel lobby, I ran into our mutual friend, Ryan Boone. And yeah. Ryan runs and said, hey, are you going to run? And I said, yes. And he said, how far? And I said, three miles. And he said, nah, four. And just him saying those two words of <laughs> nah, four inspired me to run four miles. And that's the power of community. I always say that community calls us to heights we cannot call ourselves. And so what I'm excited about this, this 30 Days of Hustle is having this private Facebook group where people get to encourage and challenge and push each other forward. So it's really simple. It's an 8,000-word uh, ebook with day-by-day, step-by-step directions on 
How do you hustle? How do you pick one particular thing? Because sometimes people go, I don't have the perfect thing and they, they right. that they need a perfect thing. And then there's 30 videos, daily videos from me saying, okay, here's an explanation of today's task and here's what I need to work on it. And then my wife is going to be part of it too. She's, she's really smart and really challenges me. Yeah, she's great. Um, so yeah, so that's the program. What's fun is that this week, if you're, if you're watching this um, between December 1st and December 4th, if you sign up this week at 30daysofhustle.com, 30daysofhustle.com, it's only $30. We're doing this That's cool. early bird special for anyone who signs up. And if you hear this after um, and you still want to do it between December 5th, say, and January 3rd, you can go to acuff.me, my name, acuff.me slash carry. And we'll give your, you know, your audience kind of a, a backdoor entrance into it. The price goes That's up after cool. these three days. It goes from 30 to 60. So hopefully you're an early adopter to Carrie's podcast and you're hearing this right now. <laughs> but if you're not listening live, listening yeah. live you can go to acuff.me slash Carrie um, between December 5th and January 3rd. And I'm, I'm really excited about it. The fun thing is you get to pick the thing you work on. Um, right. It's content neutral in the sense of you get to hustle on what you want to hustle. Right. So if someone wants to lose weight, they can do it. And, uh, and that's great. And thank you so much for extending the offer to my podcast listeners. They're going to love it, John. I know you already have a million fans and the people who, who listen to the podcast. And I know we all need motivation. Somebody sat down with me recently and said, what are your goals for 2016? I'm like, oh, yeah, I got to think through that, right? I got to well, think through that. Well, it's almost here. And, personally. and you know how it yeah. is. Yeah, boom. A lot of your listeners are leaders. And yep. sometimes when you get so busy in the day-to-day of leadership, you don't look forward. Like you're so heads yeah. down, you forget to be heads up too. And you look yep. up a year later and you go, wait a second, how did I, how is the year almost over? Or how did we get to this place? And somebody does ask that question and goes, what are the four things you're really focusing on in 2016? And you go, ah, oh, like God, uh, and like <laughs> Jesus and people that's good. and servant leadership. Like that sounds like something on a mug. Balance, servant leadership. Balance. balance. Yeah. Balance. I need some balance, man. Transparency. Yeah. <laughs> And relevant, and you just start like you listing adjectives, and then yeah. you're surprised, like, "Wow, it's hard to do my goals." Yeah, of course it is. You didn't. There's there's a right way to hustle. Like even I talk to leaders about this all the time. Hustle isn't about becoming a workaholic. Um, hustle involves rest. Rest is part of hustle. And in a culture that praises busyness, rest is an act of bravery. And yeah. so you'd be surprised how many leaders. That's the hardest part they have. And so there's something we do in the first. 10 days of 30 days of hustle that a lot of leaders struggle with and it's counterintuitive, but it makes all the difference to actually getting done what you need to get done. And so I'm, I'm really excited yeah. to see how your audience uh, enjoys it. I think, I think they'll be great. And so just to be clear, if you're listening to this live on release, like December 1st, 2nd or 3rd, you can just go to acuff.me. It's right there. 30 days of hustle, actually. 30 days of hustle.com. 30, 30 days of hustle.com. 30 of hustle.com. And you can get the offer there. But if you're listening later, and a lot of you do, it's like, oh, shoot, I missed that by you know a day or a week or whatever. If you're listening before January 3rd, 2016, just go to acuff.me slash carry. And John's got a special offer just for you because you're a podcast listener, yep. which is awesome. I want to say about community too, John, one of the conversations you and I had this fall 
offline was on a personal advisory board. And so we had a good conversation about that one morning. I'm actually putting in a personal advisory board together for me for next year. And like one of the first questions, one of the guys I asked was, so, you know, what's your vision for the year? And I'm like, right, I got to write that down. But that's the power of community. And Ryan Boone, who was on tour with us, you know, one of the the behind the scenes orchestrators of the Orange Tour, you know, I think after he said that to you that day in the lobby, I went into the gym and he's there hustling on the treadmill and I'm doing the lame elliptical. And I'm like, wow, Ryan's really, you know, tearing up the treadmill. And so it made me go another 10 minutes that day. It's funny the nudge we get from people. And again, Uh it's not that you see Ryan every day. Like that's no. the surprising power of community is that sometimes I think there's only one level. We think, okay, it has to be somebody I see every day. They're my best friend. They're a wise mentor with a Gandalf beard. Right. It has to, that's <laughs> not it at all. It can be somebody online that says, hey, wh- when's your book coming out? And it makes you write yeah. more. Or, hey, did you run the miles you need to run? Like the Fitbit nation, everybody who wears a Fitbit. It's crazy how mm. having a stranger cheer you on by pressing a little smiley face button makes you go, Huh, you know what? I'm going to do that. And so totally. we have to fight for that and create more of that as leaders. I, I know with the advisory board, one of the questions I like to ask people is if they tell me something they want to do, I'll say, well, what actions are you doing towards that right now? And that's right. always, it's always like, whoa, whoa, no, I just like to say the words of what I want to happen. I don't like to actually change my life. <laughs> and Jenny, my yeah. wife said to me today, we were talking about things changing. She says, everything changes. There's only two options. It either dies or it grows. And if you're Mm -hmm. going to grow, it's going to change. And so we were just talking about an organization that got stuck because they didn't want to change and admit they had grown. And so they are going to die. And so you need people that are having those conversations going, hey, you need to change and, and here's something I see. So good for you building that board. Well, you know, and the one, one more thing, John, just for all the leaders, and you're right, it is predominantly leaders who listen to this podcast, but like for a lot of you, 2015 was a pretty good year. And for you and I, John, you hit the New York Times bestseller list again. And, you know, that was awesome. And then I released a book and you're kind of like, okay, can I be done for a little while? You know, mine hit number one in its categories on Amazon. And you're kind of like sold out numerous times and we went to extra printings and you're kind of like, I'm still tired from 2015, but like the calendar marches on. And so it's time you're sitting down to write a new book now and I'm going to start working on a new one. And so I need accountability built in because otherwise you're going to get to the place where you're just cruising on the fumes of yesterday. Yeah, you won't, you won't um, naturally lean toward discipline. Like you won't naturally, like I've <laughs> so never true. looked up and found myself writing a book that I wasn't, that I was surprised by. I've never been like, oh my gosh, I just stumbled into this. I'll stumble hey, into Hey, it wrote TV. itself. Yeah, I'll stumble wow. into Netflix. I'll stumble into goofing off. Yeah. I never stumble into hard work. It takes discipline, accountability, encouragement. So yeah, that's, that's what my hope is for the 30 Days of Hustle is that okay. we have thousands of people that come together and work on this together. So it's basically uh, a video every day, a short video. Yep. There's an ebook that you can read that sort of guides you through step by step. Then there's a private Facebook group private where you Facebook can connect group, with yeah. other people. Community. Awesome. And you'll be in that private Facebook group. And there's a deal for podcast listeners. So if you're listening before December 3rd, just go to 330daysahustle.com. And if you're listening after December 4th to January 3rd, 2015 slash 16, go to acuff.me slash carry and you'll get a special deal. That's not available. 
So that's really cool. John, thank you so much. I know, uh, I I just love having you on the podcast and thanks for helping us out again. And thanks for helping a lot of leaders with this as we all kick off a new year together. Thanks for pouring into leaders, Kerry. I'm I'm one one of them that's been benefited by your, uh, your podcast. Thanks, man. Well, that is cool. So just so you guys know, I'm signing up for the 30 Days of Hustle. Why? Because I need it like you do. I mean, I know, you know, I do this podcast and blog and everything, but accountability helps me be so much better. And so I'm going to join it. I hope you'll join it. And John's given us an incredible deal. It is certainly worth your $30. And he's given us extra grace. If you're listening to this after the December 4th cutoff, you can just go to acuff.me slash carry. That's C-A-R-E-Y. And acuff is A-C-U-F-F acuff.me slash carry and uh, you can get your special deal right up until January 3rd when the hustle starts. So John, thanks so much for that. And uh, isn't that great? Hopefully you're uh, just a little bit funnier next time. One of my favorite Twitter uh, statuses, John and I were talking about Ryan Boone, but Colette Taylor is a huge part, huge part of everything that goes on at Orange. And uh, for years, I don't know whether it still says this or not, but her Twitter bio was, I can't be funny on the spot, which actually in itself is quite hilarious. So if you want more, you can just go to the show notes. You'll find them at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 64. Also would love to hear from you on the blog. Uh, and you can just go to kerryneuhoff.com anytime. I'm always posting two or three times a week. Would love to get your comments on some of the stuff happening there. And if you've enjoyed this episode, share it, tell a friend, email the link to a friend or leave a review on iTunes, which is super awesome because iTunes really pays attention to that. And then they um, rank the podcast higher and get it in the feeds of people who may not have heard about it. And we are pushing in on 300 reviews on iTunes. So maybe you'll be number 300. How's that? That would be great. I'll tell you, tell you what I'll do. For the 300th review, I will send you a copy signed copy of my new book, Lasting Impact. So why don't you go on there, leave a review right now, and uh, we'll send one out to the person who's the 300th. Yeah, we'll do that. So back next week with episode 65, got a lot of awesome stuff coming up on the podcast. The best way to make sure you don't miss anything is to subscribe. And thanks so much, John. Thanks so much for listening. I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.